0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is John Van Lunen, and you are listening to Treasures of the Outer Banks, the podcast that celebrates the people and places that make this beach special. In this episode, I talk with Delia D'Ambra, who grew up in Manio, graduated from Manio High School, went to University of North Carolina, and after getting a degree in journalism, landed a few reporting jobs before creating her own podcast called Counter Clock which Rolling Stone Magazine recently named as one of the top 25 true crime podcasts. The Counter Clock podcast immediately gained local support because her first unsolved mystery investigation was the murder of Denise Johnson in Kill Devil Hills back in 1997. DLE is great at investigative reporting and the research that goes along with it. Since Counterclock has come out, she's added more to her plate, and we'll talk about that in the interview. So sit back and listen in. Rolling Stone Magazine says you're one of the top 25 best true crime podcasts of all time. That's That's got to feel pretty good for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's wild to me that the show has become what it's become, that the stories have been heard how they've been heard, because some of them are more obscure than others. But yeah, to get that nod from Rolling Stone um, was really cool because it wasn't expected. But I think it just goes to show... How many millions of people are listening and really absorbing the truth of these stories? Maybe that was never heard before or the context that was never heard before. And to me, that's really powerful. And it's powerful because it's not going out under the label of, you know, a huge network or a um, journalistic label, right? Like New York times or, or something like that. Like you don't have this juggernaut um, distribution though. Audio Chuck now is quite a leader in the industry. You don't have that, you know, this is an NBC universal or something like that, releasing it, which would get it to the masses in a certain way. Um, so yeah, that was really cool.
0: <laughs> and I guess, you know, and I'm digressing a little bit, but when you're small, when you're a small company, you have the ability to steer things quickly and change directions quickly. Instead yes. of having a corporate CEO dictating everything that you want to do.
1: Yeah, I think the the obviously the the initial startup structure that Audiocheck had uh, when I first met Ashley Flowers back in um, early 2019, late 2018, it was really just a startup model. I mean, it was a startup for a few years and now it's really gotten to the place where it's 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 not only an industry front runner, but it is an industry leader as far as like, you know, standard of quality, standard of like, you know, structure for limited series like the shows that I do. Um and so yeah, I think I think that's a, a really interesting thing about that that company and and the way they distribute things. It's it's pretty cool.
0: Right. And so I was doing a little research and and there's counterclock. That's your original podcast, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And then Park Predators came after that?
1: Yeah. So I started CounterClock by myself in early 2018 is when I started like doing reporting and, and producing on it. Um. And then it gained quite a bit of a following when I was distributing it like on my own, just with the RSS feed out there. Uh, you know, it, that was kind of an era where podcasts were around, but a lot of people weren't exactly listening to them regularly. And so when that kind of caught steam, and then Ashley kind of cold emailed me out of nowhere, um, she had just had Crime Junkie, which is the flagship show for AudioChuck. And she was like, hey, I I love your work. You're a journalist. I'm not. I love your skills. Like, let's kind of blend worlds. And so that really started off with CounterClock season one being finished, re-released with additional reporting I had done. And then I did season two. But in between that time, I saw her vision to build a network for podcasts and I saw that she wanted me to be a part of that and so in in building that and and her obviously trying to hire more staff I think it started out with like three or four of us and now it's I think it's almost 40 people maybe a little more than 40 but in that time between season one and season two I came to her and I said hey I have some ideas for other podcast shows that I don't see out there that I think would would really fit into the true crime genre." park predators is a research-based show so i knew i was going to be doing everything for that essentially but i also needed to focus on the extensive work that goes into investigating a season of counterclock. and so to do those two things simultaneously park predators being more of a research-based show versus an active investigative show allowed me to do those things and so i Pitched her the idea. I had the concept. I had everything. Like, here's what I want for the artwork and that kind of thing. And she was like, "Love it. Let's let's do it." So, and then I came to her with additional shows and ones that have now been put out on the network. So it kind of grew like that. But Park Predators was a concept that I had had in my brain. I didn't see the out there in the landscape of podcasts, and it really is a unique type of show, and it really pulls people into the maybe. The true crime genre that would not ordinarily listen to true crime content. We, we have really been able to uh, put in front of outdoor people, outdoor enth- enthusiasts, recreation folks, you know, that kind of thing that would ordinarily not listen, but they listen to that show regularly. And that's really cool to be able to reach a kind of a different demographic. Um, and I kind of knew that at the outset. I thought, mm, we're going to get more than just true crime people that listen to this show.
0: Yeah, good one. Find your audience. Right. Um, There's also something called Dark Arenas, and I couldn't find much else about Dark Arenas. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, so Dark Arenas um, was a limited series, um, interview-based show that initially released back in, I believe, 2019 or 20, probably 2020, To Stitcher Premium. It was a paywall release, and I believe it was nine episodes, but I did additional interviews, bumped up the total episodes to 15 episodes, and that is going to release to wide audience, meaning on all distribution platforms, so it won't be be behind that Stitcher Premium paywall. Um, Those new episodes will release everywhere uh, this fall, so I was able to really like make it full and 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 get additional um folks that had listened behind the paywall, I was able to get additional interviews from really good sources because they had listened. And so it was like, hey, let's make this bigger and better. And then when we get it back from Stitcher, we'll release it to everybody. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's interview based in that each episode is different. And I'm doing a one-on-one interview or interviewees um, with multiple interviewees about folks that work in what would be considered a dark arena, right? So maybe FBI agents who work in um, sex predator task forces, um, U.S. Marshals who do uh, fugitive hunting. Um, I talked to former director of the CIA. Um, so there's like this, this this, kind of specific ecosystem that these individuals work in and it's quite dark and it talks about what they do, but how what they do makes the world a, a better place. Right. um so yeah it's really it's really cool I, I like it a lot
0: yeah James Altucher just had a great episode with a um uh, a, a New York City crime uh, what is, I don't know if she used to be considered a coroner or she, mm. she'd go to the uh she would show up on site and yeah New York City a lot of deaths and a lot of crazy stories like uh, a
1: coroner investigator usually they yeah, have like
0: yeah. people that go out yeah, yeah. and uh, man that was crazy and, and she kind of touches upon the the this psychological stress that these yeah. people are under constantly you know so yeah and agree.
1: some of the new episodes that have never been released before that will be released in the in the upcoming season um you know they are like some of these folks it, it was just amazing like um I think one of them was a uh like a former head driver for George Bush, he was the Secret Service dedicated. He drove all of the limousines and cars that the president was in at all times in every country that he ever went to. And it's just like, wow, like the stress of that job <laughs> and just you're dodging just his story is about. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but his stories about just <laughs> like just, you know, we had to divert at the last second, like things that the general public has no idea right are going on. And I think that's kind of what fascinates people about those types of interviews.
0: Very cool. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm doing my research on you and just trying to absorb as much information as possible. And the one you yeah. come up with is prolific. You are just <laughs> jamming it out. I mean, <laughs> multiple shows, multiple, you know, you probably have, I guess, maybe at least a hundred recordings um, and in a very short period of time. Right. So you started. Yeah. Researching Denise Johnson in uh, 2018. Next thing you know, boy, what yep. was it? A year or two later, you're 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 putting out. So let's say 2020. You start Yeah,
1: yeah. And we here we are three
0: years later, and you're just jamming it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that was kind of thing you spoke to earlier. It's like it is. It is a fast-paced industry. Again, when I you know joined chuck at that sort of ground level of um, startup. I mean, any startup will tell you like you're just your quality has to stay there, but you just have a lot of people wearing different hats, doing a lot of different tasks, like all of the same mind typically. Um, and that really was the case. And I think just really finding and jiving with people, but also too, like I had been in journalism and, and what I would say, uh, you know, investigative and storytelling since the outset of my career and in, in, um, when I graduated from UNC Chapel Hill in, in 2014, and I dove right in and became like a field general assignment reporter and investigative reporter in Virginia for an NBC affiliate and did two full years there immediately transferred to South Florida did four and a half years so like I was in courts I was in people's backyards I was in like all of that was so like you go into the deep end and so as so long as you can handle it like you do learn so much and is so fast-paced that I was really used to that right like I was used to okay, this person has said, they're going to talk to me. I'm going to go now. Like I'm going to go now before, you know, something else comes up or, or they change their mind kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause people are like, how do you guys do it? And I'm like, but I was always doing it and just in a different way.
0: Like <laughs> it, it was kind of a perfect storm where your education, your experiences all yes. just kind of led to this point where we're at right now.
1: Yeah. And I do. And I do tell people like, my career, what I've done, what I've been able to to build and, and create, like, though it has slow in terms of like the pace, it has slowed. Right. But like, I do put so much time and energy into a season of, I mean, it's a year or more of my life. Sometimes with Denise Johnson, it's been five years. Like it's been, I am still working that, that case. And so though it's fast paced, it doesn't change the amount of my time and energy that I put into him. Um, but yeah, to, to create new show concepts and then have those go out and then have teams of people work on them. Like, yeah, there is a certain point where those productions get away from me as an executive producer or me as the producer or host or whatever. And, and so that helps balance things out, I think.
0: Right. So, so what came first? Was it, you know, was it the podcast or was it the investigation of an old crime? I mean, did you just start doing the investigation and say, you know what, this would make a great podcast.
1: I know it was really simultaneous. I um, so leading into like the end of 2017, I had listened to one or two kind of similar type podcasts, like in the sense that they were limited series, but they were really done by um, what would be considered maybe like amateur. They weren't done by credentialed journalists. They were folks that were just kind of like exploring and learning. And I was like, oh, I like this about this. I like this about this. But like I really think like, instead of, you know, someone saying they had to take, you know, four weeks to find how to get a document. I'm like, well, I know how to do that. Like, I can just do that a lot quicker. So so I was like, oh, maybe I'll bring my skills and I will make a podcast investigating an unsolved crime and really tell it through the lens of, of my experience and like what I'm like the journey of doing it, but also like actually trying to find out information, right? Like actually trying to, 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 Progress the case. And so when I was, I wasn't just going to be like, oh, I'm going to Google John Ramsey, you know, or something that was just like completely over, overdone. Um, I said, well, let me, you know, I'm here in South Florida. Let me do something where I like feel really confident. I have connections, like, because I knew how important it is to leverage the relationships and connections and, you know, source potential that you have to build sources. And so that's why I chose the Outer Banks. I did not set out with Denise Johnson. What I did was, is there a case I don't know about in my hometown? Probably not because I've lived, you know, I would know about it. Right. But I did not know about Denise Johnson. I had no clue. And when I first researched, I think I Googled like unsolved homicide, Outer Banks or something. And she was the only one that popped up, like the only thing. And it came right up to the KDH website where she has uh, a special page dedicated to her. And I was like, whoa. And I was reading about it. I was like, oh my gosh. And then it was really that first call with Donnie Johnson, her sister, that for me, I was like, whoa, this, is, this has got to be the case. Like, There's a lot of elements here. There's a lot of things I, could, I think, but let me talk to Donnie. Let me make sure her family is on board. Um, and yeah, and so that I knew from that outset, I was like, okay, I'm going to produce this as if I'm producing an audio only product like get away from like TV and what makes a TV news broadcast story and just make this long form. And um, that was kind of where it started. So it's really simultaneous, I think, for me.
0: That's cool. You brought up something is you, you've mentioned that you're a storyteller and I, I like how you mentioned you, you're basically walking the listener through this investigation, you know, which I think is, yeah, slightly, it's a very different uh Approach to the whole process, and uh, and I have listened to several of the episodes, and that's definitely what's going on. It's very cool. Um, You do a good job of balancing the investigation. Uh, I don't know. You 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 deal with the with the witnesses very tactfully. There's no gotcha mm. moments. You're kind no. of probing the questions, and I don't know. I think people seem to open up. You add disclaimers. I see that quite yeah. a bit. Um, You know, I I remember listening to one. I'm like, you know that doesn't sound right to me. And you came right in and came, gave a disclaimer. Sorry, my dog is barking. You're right. Gave a disclaimer about, you know, this is what the witness said, but. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's, it's it's obviously, uh, there's an ethics part of it that's very important to you. What, why is that?
1: Um, Because I think it, it provides context, right? And with full context, I think inherently has integrity, right? Like if you provide, everything contextually you need about an isolated one-on-one conversation that no one else was a part of
0: yeah.
1: everything that preceded it everything that came after it everything that was happening uh unspoken during it then there's integrity in that and you're yeah. not you're not trapping this person you're not parsing everything they say and you know unfortunately I would say in traditional mainstream, you know, media and and journalism coverage, like you do, unfortunately, whether intentionally or just because of, you know, the way that the product is distributed, like you can lose that, right? And so and I've I've been a part of that. I've seen that. And so my outset with this was, how do I make sure that I always try and keep that, right? And I think the length of the program, the ability to go longer, the ability to include more voices, like helps that. So that's, that's really big for me. But um, yeah, and I think like the format alone is really important because something that's unique about audio storytelling like this, especially when you put it in an investigative frame is you're not only the voice for you as the host and you become this personality that the listener like identifies with, right? They're like, oh yeah, you know, Delia, go get it. Like they're they're cheering for you. They're sad with you. They're mad with you, all of that. But you can also be sort of a removed voice as well, where you're providing that sort of, hey, that's weird, right? Or, well, wait a minute, this didn't match up with this person. And so you, there's a sort of a, you're kind of like a dual voice for the listener experience. Um, and then you also have the voices of the actual interviewees saying, saying whatever they remember or heard or saw. And so I don't have to narrate that for them. They can walk me through discovering what they discovered or walk me through, um, this secret that they've, they've kept for decades. Uh, and I don't have to try and like type that up in a way that's powerful. You just hear it for yourself. So there's all those kinds of things that blend that I think make it what it is and why people are kind of like hanging on every episode.
0: Yeah. And you, you did some on the ground investigating for the Denise Johnson case. Um, You're doing so many, it seems like you're producing so much stuff. Are you able to do that to this day or is it everything just research and uh, phone calls?
1: No. um, So like even the additional reporting that I've been doing this year um, on a really, really what I would consider to be a very um, interesting lead, um, it has taken me uh, back to the Outer Banks. It's taken me back to my uh, interviewees, obviously my former interviews, like touching base with them. So that's, you know, phone calls. Call, email, messages, etc., but you know I've even been pulling records. Um, I've contacted uh, agencies in in multiple states, so there's a lot of like moving parts to it. But yeah, I mean I have been back to Norfolk Street. I have been back to the area, but a lot of it is like to me like the the answers to that case. Maybe some would say are still there, but I think many are not. Like I think there are people right that have answers and stuff, but as far as like going back and doing like going back in the house and, and the neighborhood and things like that, like that time that ship has sailed in some sense, right? Like it's, it's more than that, but yeah, I mean, I've been back. And I've had many a conversation. I see Donnie Johnson. I go by her house almost every time I come through that part of North Carolina. I was just there a couple of weeks ago. She hadn't met my son yet. Um, Because remember when I met her and talked to her, it was 2018. I was, I was, you know, single. I was like, I've gotten married since then. I've had a kid. Um, and so it was, it's really cool to keep up that, though she is what would many people would be, you know, see as a source, right? She's not to me. She's the actual friend. Um, mm-hmm. And she's somebody that I uh, get to see as much as I can, hopefully.
0: So, right. so it, it seems like podcasting is your full-time job. How has that transition from, you know, regular journalist to a podcaster?
1: Um. Obviously, when I left TV, you know, there was that element of it slowed down a little bit like just okay let me focus my energy in these more specific places um I thought the transition was awesome I mean it's allowed me to do what I love in the format that I love um Mm. I travel all over for interview I mean because we're talking about cold cases like people don't live where they lived 20 years ago or 30 years ago often they don't I mean some people do and so um traveling more was certainly it's something that I you know I anticipated but I was like oh wow okay so now we're here we're here we're here um but yeah it's I it's been very uh fulfilling and it's been um really cool to do this work and to transition out of of that um a little bit more like I call it like hyper type career like it was just more hyper I loved it had a wonderful experience in in um working for tv affiliates and and Even doing print stuff as well. But yeah, this is what I think I do best. And I think what I do um, that has a little bit more meaning and legacy to it um, than what I was doing before. So
0: when you left UNC Chapel Hill, was this even a, a remote thought?
1: No, I never thought when I graduated university that I would be doing this. Though I will tell you, I remember early on in my career, probably like within the first year right <laughs> feeling the desire to work on particularly a crime story for longer
0: right. and i
1: just felt the draw Deep to do that
0: instead of the, I know, thought man i don't want, want to get
1: away from this cuz like there's so much i didn't look into like because yeah. of time or because of you know direction from from higher ups kind of thing and so that was certainly but not when i graduated chapel hill i mean i was i was initially I was doing both sports journalism and news journalism. And there were a lot of folks at that time when I was graduating that were like, I'm going to work for ESPN. And again, this is all before layoffs and all before <laughs> sports got cut from pretty much every I mean, everywhere cut. So there was a lot of people. And I i remember having the thought of like, no, that's fun. And I, I love, cause I worked for the Carolina hurricanes. I worked for the NHL and I did all sorts of stuff in sports arenas, but I was like, I like news, but I like investigating news stories. So like I'm gonna make sure I'm really good at both because I don't know if this one side of the industry is going to last. Like I had that thought early on um because I had the thought like not everyone is going to be an Aaron Andrews. Like not everyone is going like not all of us are headed that direction, you know, male or female. Um, and so I knew I was like I really want to dig my heels in on this as well. And I'm glad that I did because I ultimately fell in love with that type of journalism and I don't think without that that I would have been able to be here um so that was something that like though I didn't know I'd be doing this I certainly had like this concept in my mind of there's going to be change in this industry and there's going to be change not only in where talent ends up right which is what I was at that time um but it's going to change formats too. Like I, I had a real thought of like I don't know how long this like live shot TV thing and and you see that you've seen that in just the last couple of years. Like podcast is now so dominant, and um, you know I couldn't have predicted it then, but I certainly had a feeling about it for sure.
0: Well, good for you to have that kind of foresight.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I think I grad I graduated. Gosh, I graduated a year earlier, almost a year early too. So like, it was a long time ago. <laughs>
0: um, so your dad was correct me, uh, police chief of Manio.
1: Yeah, my dad was chief in Manio from I think he took the job in either ninety two or ninety. No, he took the job in ninety seven. Excuse me, and he retired in two thousand seven, two thousand eight timeframe.
0: And does does that did that affect your you know crime, you know uh, passion so to speak or
1: Not, not really. Um, And I do joke about this with him because he wasn't, you know, my dad wasn't that homicide detective grizzled by, you know, (laughs) thousands of cases. Um, But I did remember talking to him when I first started the Denise Johnson investigation. He's like, yeah, no, I remember that was obviously in KDH. So it wasn't his jurisdiction, but um, he had worked murders. But really it was, um, it's funny because when my dad first started his career in the 80s, he actually didn't become a law enforcement officer right away because he was too young and he went undercover. He was an undercover narcotics agent, like right. embedded in a cartel um, for a few years. And so there's that like sense that he was like, he was doing investigations, right? Like, but he was doing them so covertly and and mm-hmm. like picking it. like so. I think maybe I got a little bit of that from him, right? Like, like <laughs> sort of like I'm gonna embed myself into this place I've never been before and this thing I've never been. For and like learn everything and talk to people. And like, so I don't know. But um, no, I wouldn't say that my dad's like community-oriented policing, like police chief uh platform, uh, you know, in um what do you call it, motivated me to do this. But I think having that in his background um made me have an appreciation for what law enforcement does, but also knowing that like there were things in his career that He was like, man, why does this person do it that way? Or why is no one do it? Like the question, the questions he had for the system he worked in, I certainly got that. Like he allowed me to see the lens of law enforcement in both for what it's good for and for what it's negative, what it's not good for. And I, that's certainly something I have, I've witnessed throughout the work that I've done is like, these things are all great and good, but this part of it is not, and Clearly, things suffer for that, and that's a problem.
0: Right, and and I I know there's a couple episodes where uh, the Denise Rod, uh, the, the Denise, sorry, the Denise <laughs> can't talk, yeah. the Denise Johnson people are saying, you know, the cops didn't do a very good job, and yeah, you know, that, that, that probably kills you a little bit, like, oh God, they're getting a bad rap, you know, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, it is hard, and and again, that comes back to the. Context, right? Like it's one thing to just let someone say like the cops screwed it up; they're terrible, blame them. However, when you place it in context of the 1990s in a department that has has no reason to know how to handle this level oh, of yes. a homicide,
0: they have one every ten years or something.
1: Yeah, like I don't think that you can just say, oh it's all their fault. Like, that's why I did what I did is to investigate and look at all the things that either weren't or couldn't be, or would not have been assumed then. And so some law enforcement off you know, agencies are receptive to that. And they're like, yeah, like we weren't there then, like whatever we can do, whatever you can do to help, like, and then some are more cagey and, and they're cagey likely because those same individuals have stayed in that organization. And mm-hmm. so they don't like that and nobody likes to be told like hey I think you guys did a terrible job um oh and you're still around like nobody loves that it's not a great look and it's not a good feeling but I do think there are some people who kind of put that aside and say okay like what can we do so yeah I I definitely think that yeah when people are are critical I have to provide I have to navigate around that as the host and as the reporter of saying well Here's why that might be, or it could be what you're really thinking and they're just terrible at their job, but like giving those those, explanations. Yeah.
0: Right. Does your dad ever give you any feedback?
1: Oh yeah. My dad, he has listened. I think it took them a little while to start listening, but he is like, always just like, man, how do you get these people to talk to you? Like I've worked with (laughs) detectives who can't get people to, and I'm like, it's just I think it's because I'm not law enforcement. Right. I think it's because I'm just a person trying to learn the truth and people pick up on that. Um, But yeah, his feedback's always like, man, that person, like who who would say that? Like, and I'm like, I know, you know, so it's encouraging. I know he's super proud.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, it must make uh, Thanksgiving dinner pretty pretty interesting too huh?
1: yeah it's really <laughs> Sit funny around and be-
0: talk about crime stories
1: <laughs> yeah and my parents too um because my dad he does these long walks in the morning and my mom he'll do stuff around the house or whatever and so sometimes they're not they don't like to listen if one's um further along than the other so they like to be up to speed on the season they're like oh wait I haven't got that for you like, don't talk about it don't talk about it and so it's always interesting like i was just home recently and my, and um my dad was like listening beyond what my mom had listened to and she was like no like i'm so upset like don't tell me you know what's in season five <laughs> or the end so those that's where the conversations have transitioned about their like competing listening habits versus <laughs> um
0: right.
1: you know what i'm
0: actually doing that's funny yeah. um so so let's back up a little bit uh can you, can you give me, can you give me a brief synopsis of what it's like growing up on the Outer Banks or how your experience was growing up on the Outer Banks?
1: Yeah. I mean, my, my experience growing up on the Outer Banks was, um, was pretty great. Um, my dad obviously was, was the chief of police in Manio. So he's busy. He worked a lot. Um, my mom in and out of working, uh, at, at uh, healthcare places. And then ultimately took a job at the Outer Banks hospital when it opened, she's been there since it opened. So she's oh. like, Oh gee, Outer Banks hospital. Um, <laughs> and you know, my mom homeschooled me. Um, my really? sisters went to Manio elementary some, and then she pulled them out and homeschooled. And so I was homeschooled kindergarten through the end of ninth grade. Um, mm-hmm. and so I had a great, we had a great group of folks that were also like a group that was homeschooled in between the beach and Manio, And, um, we went to Manio. Baptist church uh, on the island and that was a really robust church then and so we had a lot of great community and I think that um was a really good positive experience specifically growing up on the island right because it is a bit isolated and then being homeschooled is also (laughs) even more isolating um (laughs) but I got plugged into uh I don't know if they still do them but I was in so many parks and recreation sports for Dare County so that really um in addition to being an outgoing child and an outgoing person being involved in those things, like obviously exposed me to social, you know, social skills and, and kids that were, you know, different or or had different backgrounds and families and stuff. And so that really helped me when I went to Manuel high school in the 10th grade and then stayed there 10th, 11th, the 12th, before I graduated, like all those same friend groups I had made um, kind of, they knew who I was, right? Like, like we just kind of blended in. Yeah. And it just worked really well. And then also, academically too was really great is my, my mom in homeschooling us, she did such a wonderful job that I was pretty advanced and pretty far ahead academically. So when I went to high school, like it really wasn't difficult for me. University was not difficult for me. Um, I went to Carolina pre-med with a good amount of scholarships. And so um, even though I transitioned to journalism um, like that was a really, a really cool thing um, to be able to, you know, go to go in state, um, not be super far away, still get a great education. But um, the Outer Banks, you know, I think just going to the beach, like having all of the um, cool experiences of of being outdoors and exploring and, and meeting up with friends and not being in this huge metropolis, I think that would have probably had more of a negative effect on me. Mm. Um, and so I just I think, you know, you make those those friends and you build relationships with people. And we weren't born and bred you know outer like we moved there in 97 when my sisters were a little bit older and I was like four or five so there was a sense too of like you have to go and meet people and make friends like you aren't just you've been together because you're all you know have family members or so that us like now I see that in my career like if I'm the stranger in the room or in the group like I'm I have to become part of that community in a certain sense and so that was kind of a something that I think kind of mirrored in my later life, which is really cool. But I love, I love the OBX. I am trying to get up there as much as I can. It's hard though, um, because it's, it is far away from where I live now. And um, when I was working the cases in season one and two, I was there a lot, um, which was great. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's different now though. Cause now when I go, a lot of people um, will come up to me and, and, and say, oh, you know, and they'll want to talk. And, and so, and it's cool, (laughs) but there are also times too, where I'm like, Okay.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, it's it a little fatiguing, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. That's awesome, you know. But we're <laughs> up, I'm eating lunch, you know. We'll talk about it later.
0: Well, my my daughter, I have a daughter and two boys. My daughter's 25, and and uh she told me about your podcast. She loves your podcast. I <laughs> she's a little jealous that I'm interviewing you right now.
1: Oh my gosh, tell her I say hi.
0: <laughs> you bet. I said, Well, Olivia, you know, give me some questions. And she couldn't come up with anything. The only thing she could come up with is if there's any more dirt on the Denise Johnson thing, let, you know, ask her ah, is there, there, any, I, there is. is well, there any recent stuff?
1: <laughs> there is. I literally, like I said, I've been working a, a lead or two since the start of this year. Um, and I'm hoping to put out additional content on it. I'm, I'm aiming to put out an additional like big update episode, maybe two from basically everything I've looked into and reported since the show came out, but specifically the, this lead. Um, that's like pretty substantial. Um and law enforcement is aware of so yeah it's just a matter of working it but um until they solve it i think it has to be worked right like somebody's got to be doing it
0: I, I feel like you're very close well just listening to the episodes i feel like you guys are on top of it so i hope that comes to a, a closure that everybody's going to be happy with mm-hmm. at least i guess having closure would make a lot of people happy i think yeah um, so there are there any other podcast shows coming up any projects you might want to uh, put out there for us
1: no really like i mean just working i'm working season 6 of counterclock which will come out in spring of 2024 so i'm yeah. like 7 months into that investigation um even though season 5 just came out in may i work a year to year and a half ahead so it's kind of staggered um and then yeah i mean i'm i'm writing content for park predators Season five, which comes out next summer, and season four is releasing now through the end of August. So it's 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 like it's very, it's very um, working ahead of time. Um, but you know, I mean, AudioChuck, a lot of the shows that AudioChuck puts out, they have like a full rotation and schedule of of a great content. They have a good mix of limited series, which is really what my shows fall in the category of. They're not weekly uh, shows. Um, but they have a whole mix of stuff. And and I've I have i would shows um Strangeland is a really great investigative series. that has two seasons. Um, and that's very similar to Counterclock. Um and what did you say
0: you did? You VP'd it?
1: I executive produced EP. Okay, sorry. EP'd. So yeah, yeah. So like overseeing the in, like the reporting and the investigating team and then the final product you know reflective of that um so being on board with the project and and that show's really good as well um I highly re- recommend if people enjoy Counterclock, they will definitely enjoy Strangeland okay. season one and two because it, it's very much the same format and it's it's these stories
0: you're like what
1: what like that can't be you know and I think people <laughs> really like I, I'm glad that people appreciate that
0: <laughs> and you never seem to have a, a dearth of cases to look at so you're always yeah new stuff to to report on which i guess you know keeps keeps the machine moving
1: and that's and that is one um it's supposed to both a positive and a negative right like i love that people are like hey we see what you have right like we see the platform that's there can you help us can you look into this and and i get a lot of messages like dozens a week from friends or family of of murder victims who yeah. are saying please can you do a season of counterclock on this or please and and um i will say season 6 is a result of that exact thing but obviously like i can't do a whole season of counterclock on every case that comes our way like there's just no capacity for that and and the i don't even want to call it criteria it's just a terrible way but the the threshold to be met to do what i do on a case for counterclock there does have to be certain certain elements to it right like the ability to access something, Um, time, though it's not as much of a factor, like participation of family, like I can't just have someone who's writing in saying, hey, I have no attachment to this case, but like, you should really look at this, like, it's okay, well, you're not connected to that, you know what I mean? And do they really want that to be done? And so there's a lot of that. But yeah, it is, it's so hard for me, because I'm like, I want to help everybody, like I do, I want to help everybody. Um, But at the same time, like, there's reality of it.
0: So, how long is your vetting process? You must be just overwhelmed with all these things, and it's just yes, no, yes, no.
1: Um, it's pretty. I mean, when I vet something, it I would say it's ex it's extensive in the sense that like I can pretty much recognize within like the first week or two, like hey, I don't think what I do is gonna help you is gonna help like like it's more of a grievance right like sometimes you get that sense that 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 could be the case or or what have you but like it is I mean it's I look at it I have meetings with people like I I really do and then there are some cases that it's just it's immediate it's immediate like this is going to be a season of counterclock like this is going to be <laughs> right.
0: um
1: because it's just I've gotten to the point now where I'm really attuned to it and I'm right. really a, I can just I just see it ahead of, like I just I start going and my husband knows it too. He'll see me come out of a meeting and he's like, I've lost you for the next year and a half. Like, <laughs> you I, Okay. We're okay. We're going to, where are we going next? Like that kind of thing. That's funny. Um,
0: so yeah. <laughs> so, uh, kind of wrapping things up real quick. You have a website. What, what is it? Is it Delia D'Ambra?
1: Yeah. So my website is, uh, that's my like professional website for me. And then the shows are counterclockpodcast.com and parkpredators.com or park Predators podcast. I can't remember. That's terrible. Um, but you can find it. Um yeah. and then yeah, and then audio check too, uh audiocheck.com. They have all this, all the shows there and even ones that I don't host that I've helped create. So
0: very cool. Very cool. Um, well, I appreciate your time, Ilya. Yeah. This is great sitting down and talk with you. The name of the show is Treasures of the Outer Banks. And even though you don't live here anymore, you're definitely a treasure. We're, we're proud of you. We're happy for you. And we uh, hope you, you know, we, we wish you the best going forward from here.
1: Thank you so much. I was so glad to be here.
0: A big thank you to Delia for sitting down for this interview. I greatly appreciate it. And again, it's very exciting to see her have this kind of success. As an aside, it shows you how hustle can convert to success. She's obviously worked hard to get where she is today, and I admire that. Best wishes to her and her career, and don't forget to check out her podcast. Also, be sure to check out my website, TreasuresOfTheOuterBanks.com, and sign for email so we can stay in touch. I promise I won't be annoying. Until next time, make it a good one.